Tonight, a desperate race to rescue the missing as the death toll soars in Turkey and Syria. New life pulled from the wreckage. I haven't seen anything like this before. And the politics hampering international aid. The Prime Minister's health care pitch to the Premier's. Let's get this done. It's significantly less than what we were looking for. A closer look at the billions on the table, doing the math on the money. Plus, the artificial intelligence making movie magic. It does it 300 times faster. The Hollywood special effects created in Canada. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. 48 hours after the world suddenly crumbled around people in Turkey and Syria, rescuers are running out of time. But despite scenes of despair and a death toll approaching 8,000, there were also some moments of hope. The White Helmet's rescue team in Syria, using drills and their hands, saved an entire family. Pulling them out of the rubble one by one, with a crowd of hundreds erupting in joy. But those moments were the exception among so much destruction, including this heartbreaking image of a father whose 15-year-old daughter was killed, refusing to let go of her hand. Our coverage begins with CTV's chief international correspondent, Paul Workman, in Turkey tonight. Paul. Omar, as the frantic search goes on here, Turkey says it's pulled some 8,000 survivors out of the earthquake rubble. In the minutes after this 10-story building collapsed came the first signs of life. Text messages from under the rubble calling for help. And in the hours since, the desperate but slow and painstaking rescue work hasn't stopped. Tracked by an anxious crowd waiting and watching for good news, huddled around wood fires as if keeping vigil for those who might still be found alive. The rescue team called for silence just a minute ago. People got very quiet here as they took one more body out of the building behind me. The grieving sound of these women could be heard over the noise of jackhammers and heavy equipment. Six members of one family missing and most likely dead under the crushing layers of concrete. We just can't walk away and leave them here, she says as long as there is hope. Brother. Mehmet Ali Altunch rushed here to help as soon as he heard what had happened. He lost a niece and a nephew in the collapse and now watches the slow pace of digging with huge frustration and sadness. We know that time is running out, he says, but we can't do anything. We just feel pain deep inside. A view from above shows the absolute sweep of destruction in the city of Hatay, closed now to all but rescue teams and aid vehicles. Wow. <laughs> 30 hours after the quake hit, and with little in the way of heavy equipment, rescuers saved a young barefoot girl 
and cheered as she was carefully rushed away to safety. In this neighborhood, friends and family were startled when a voice suddenly emerged from the darkness. A woman crying out and banging on something metallic to attract rescuers. Proof of life coming from below. But across the quake zone, this is a more likely outcome. Weeping over a loved one wrapped in a blanket as the time for saving lives passes and despair sets in. Turkey has declared a state of emergency in 10 provinces and says hundreds of thousands of people are desperately seeking shelter, many forced to sleep in their cars, Omar. A number representing about a third of this country's population. Paul Workman, thank you for this tonight. Support for the devastated regions is coming in from around the world, including Canada. This is why today I authorized an initial emergency humanitarian uh, uh, response of $10 million to support the people of Turkey uh, and Syria. The federal government, as you just heard, says it's providing $10 million for emergency medical services and some food and shelter. But getting supplies to where they are most needed is complicated by the disaster and a civil war. CTV's Tom Walters reports from Istanbul tonight. Surrounded by death and debris, a new life is delivered from the ruins in the Syrian city of Aleppo. This baby girl who emerged from the freezing rubble three hours after she was born is just one example. Every minute counts. A mass mobilization is now underway, from canine units departing Mexico to search and rescue teams making their way from China, the USA, Italy and beyond. Many of the planes packed with international aid are traveling toward Turkey, which is the path of least resistance. Access into the disaster zone inside Syria's northwest is posing a host of challenges. Syria had suffered a lot during the last 10 years. Syria's hardest hit regions in the northwest are largely controlled by rebel forces who have been fighting the country's government for more than a decade. Government-issued permits are needed to enter, that includes those bringing aid, according to the country's UN ambassador. Without the control of the government, without permission of the government, without approval from the government, this is violation. Here, buildings have previously collapsed from airstrikes carried out by the Syrian government and its Russian allies, who have military bases in the region and are now some of the only rescue crews on the ground. Inside a shelter, this mother says, to be honest, this is harder than war. Airstrikes pass. Here, we don't know when this ends. As for that baby girl, her mother did not survive. This doctor shares that her mother gave birth under the rubble and all her family had died. A harsh reminder that stories of hope and survival come against a backdrop of agonizing loss. Now, as rescuers arrive from all over the world, the question is not just who goes where, but whether they can get there at all.
Omar. An immense challenge. Tom, thank you for this tonight. And an update to a story we brought you last night about a Ghanaian soccer player, Christian Atsu, who was reported missing after the quake. The Ghana Football Association said the former Chelsea and Newcastle forward was pulled alive from the rubble of a collapsed building and is now receiving treatment. Timely access to treatment is top of mind for Canadians, and tonight the Prime Minister presented a health care funding proposal the Premiers are now weighing. The offer is $196 billion over 10 years. But as CTV's senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor reports, only about a quarter of it is new money. The Premier showed optimism, arriving for their long-awaited meeting with the Prime Minister. How are you feeling going into the talks? Very well. Among them, Alberta's Premier, shaking hands with Justin Trudeau for the first time, awkwardly. But after a few hours in a boardroom, they emerged disappointed. It's significantly less than what we were looking for. This proposal is fiscally limited, but I think that uh, it provides a foundation. What we see this as is a, is a starting point. It's a, it's a down payment. On, on further discussions. The offer Trudeau tabled, $46.2 billion of new money for health care over 10 years. An average of $4.6 billion per year, a small fraction of the $28 billion some premiers hope for. Included in the deal, a $2 billion one-time bump to the Canada health transfer Ottawa sends to the provinces each year. And a change to the minimum annual increase to the transfer from 3% to 5% worth $17.3 billion over the next decade. And an additional $25 billion over the same period tailored for each province for improving family care and mental health, retaining health care workers, and upgrading electronic medical records. A condition for most of the new money, the provinces will have to share data showing it resulted in improved care. Fight, fight, fight! But no requirement, as health worker unions and the NDP demanded, to stop private for-profit delivery of care. It's going to cannibalize the public sector workers and it'll make things even harder for people in emergency rooms. Visiting a hospital staged for a press conference, Trudeau defended his pitch to fix a health system he admits isn't working. It's not just about money needed to improve our health care systems. We need better outcomes. As expected, the premiers are leaving Ottawa without agreeing to a deal. They say they plan to meet again without the Prime Minister possibly within a few days, to discuss how to respond. Omar. All right, Glenn, thanks. A former public health official from Western Canada was convicted today of sex crimes against a child. A judge found Dr. Albert de Villiers guilty of sexual assault and sexual interference of an 11-year-old boy. De Villiers was medical officer of health in northern Alberta for 16 years before moving to B.C. to become a chief medical officer. He'll be sentenced next week. Shocking details are emerging tonight about a horrific case of child exploitation in an Edmonton suburb. Police say a toddler has been rescued from sexual abuse and the child's mother is facing a string of charges after the FBI in the United States tipped off local law enforcement. CTV's Alberta Bureau Chief Bill Fortier explains. A specialized police unit moved in on a home in this Edmonton suburb Saturday, less than 40 hours after getting a tip from the FBI in California. ICE rescued a toddler-aged child from sexual exploitation as a result of an urgent investigation. The child's mother, a 35-year-old woman, faces multiple charges, including making and distributing child pornography, sexual exploitation and interference, and arranging to commit a sexual offense against a child. Early indications in our investigation are that the abuse 
has been ongoing for quite some time. The arrest is connected to charges last October in Yuba City, California, where police arrested a 30-year-old man suspected of several sex crimes against children. California police agencies and the FBI allege that suspect was using the social media platform Kick. Friday morning, Alberta's Integrated Child Exploitation Unit was notified that one of his conversations was allegedly with the Edmonton area mother. The conversation on Kick depicted extremely graphic sexual abuse of children. Even for veteran investigators, details of the case are difficult to comprehend. I've been a police officer for nearly 22 years and with this unit for nearly three and this is some of the most egregious material I've been exposed to. The mother, whose name is being withheld to protect the identity of the victim, has now been released on bail. Police say the father was not aware of the crimes and is now cooperating fully with the investigation. And investigators say the toddler is now safe. Omar. All right, Bill, thanks. New images were released today of what's left of the suspected Chinese spy balloon. The U.S. Navy recovered parts of the balloon's canopy from the water after it was shot down off the coast of South Carolina. The Pentagon says China refused its request for a call between top defense officials to discuss the balloon that had also hovered over Canada. U.S. President Joe Biden is facing a critical moment during a cynical time. Tonight, he delivered his second State of the Union address. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Biden tailored his main message around the economy. And two years ago, COVID had shut down, our businesses were closed, our schools were robbed of so much. And today, COVID no longer controls our lives. CTV's Washington Bureau Chief Joy Malbin watched the speech. And Joy, a challenging task for the president tonight. He wants to convey a sense of optimism, but most Americans think the country is heading in the wrong direction. What was the key takeaway? Omar, tonight Joe Biden took a very long victory lap, boasting about 12 million new jobs created under his watch. Unemployment the lowest since, well, man first walked on the moon. Biden's trying to convince Americans that things are getting better. But you're right, there is a big disconnect. Polls show Americans aren't feeling it. Now the president faces a divided Congress. For the first time, Kevin McCarthy, the newly empowered House Speaker, is sitting behind him. Take a listen. And to my Republican friends, if we could work together the last Congress, there's no reason we can't work together and find consensus on important things in this Congress as well. After that call to work together, Biden seemed to provoke Republicans, suggesting they're looking to cut social programs. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> There was tough talk, too, about tensions with China over that spy balloon. And Biden urged Americans to stay the course on Ukraine as it defends its democracy against Russian aggression. Biden calling it the right thing to do. Omar? And despite all that joy, this wasn't just about the State of the Union. This was also about Biden's own political future. Absolutely. Consider tonight a soft launch. Biden's making the pitch for re-election. And yes, at 80 years old, he's expected to announce a second run at the presidency, pointing to abortion rights, gun control, police reform. Biden is telling Americans his job is not done yet. The question is, will they listen, Omar? All right, Joy, thank you for this tonight. Coming up. Hopefully wages and everything else will go up and we'll be able to kind of 
keep on track. A new look at what Canadians think they need to retire. Plus, the Made in Canada special effects helping Hollywood with AI. Overwhelming debt and the end of government pandemic supports have contributed to an increase in bankruptcies across the country. They're up 37% among Canadian businesses, with tourism, food services, and the construction sector's hardest hit. Individual bankruptcy filings are also growing, up 11%. That financial burden is weighing on many Canadians, especially for those on fixed incomes. And as CTV's BC Bureau Chief Melanie Neji reports, a new portrait is shedding light on the impact of inflation on retirement expectations. Costs keep climbing across Canada, forcing people to take drastic steps. Near one of Vancouver's beaches, dozens are living in RVs in order to scrimp and save. I'm like, why not me? Lucas Phillips, a student and Uber driver, ditched his pricey downtown apartment to live in a low-cost motorhome. This feels like okay. I sit here for a while. High inflation and the rising cost of living are making life difficult for Canadians and many are no longer confident they'll have enough money to retire. At my age, you know, is there a possibility to, to make sure that I can, I can retire the way I want to? I think at some point our lifestyle has to change in relation to what we spend money on. According to a new BMO retirement survey, only 44% of Canadians are confident they'll have enough money to retire. They, uh, you know, have less confidence around uh, saving and investing towards their retirement goals and certainly feeling that they're going to need more. The study also found people believe they need to save $1.7 million, which is a 20% increase from 2020. For someone that sees a simpler lifestyle, they're going to downsize their home, they may move out of the big city, they're going to need less than that number. It seems like quite a bit. For new mom Chelsea Renault, saving nearly $2 million for retirement isn't realistic. But she's hopeful inflation will ease this year, allowing her to pocket more money. But hopefully, hopefully wages and everything else will go up and we'll be able to kind of keep on track. We have taken forceful action. Today, signs of optimism from the Bank of Canada governor after a series of interest rate hikes. Our message is it's working. Uh, inflation is turning the corner. And as it comes down, the expectation is the cost of living for Canadians will improve. Melanie Nagy, CTV News, Vancouver. And in her retirement years, she reached rock star status. Still ahead tonight. When he did that, well, I don't know how my knees didn't buckle. Meets the Harry Styles super fan from Sudbury, now known worldwide as the Grammy Grant. Last night, we told you about the Ontario grandmother who had the honor of presenting a Grammy to her favorite singer. And tonight, we can tell you how the incredible journey to the stage all started. Don't keep correcting me. I'm talking about Harry Styles. Reina LaFontaisie's brush would start and began at a family gathering over the holidays. Her granddaughter, Renee, captured the 78-year-old's admiration of pop star Harry Styles on social media. I started secretly recording her, and that night I edited it. It was a 10-minute clip. I edited it, and I put it on TikTok, and then I woke up the next morning, and it had started to go viral. The Grammys saw the post and reached out, inviting Reina to attend the awards show. Details were kept secret, so she had no idea she'd be invited on stage 
to read the winner's name or even hand him the award. Harry Styles! I never thought he'd, he'd run up to me and give me a hug like that, you know? And when he did that, well, I don't know how my knees didn't buckle. He's a, it was, I, I don't know what else to tell you. It was, that'll stay with me till the day I die. <laughs> La Fantaisie is now back in Canada and will soon head home to Sudbury. Love her reaction. Maybe she'll have a cameo in Harry's next music video. And another piece of video from off Vancouver Island is delighting animal lovers. About 150 California sea lions have been hanging out on Trial Island, the most in about 25 years. Biologists say a healthy supply of herring is giving them good reason to stick around. Enjoying all that food. After the break, movie magic with an AI assist. Cutting edge technology beyond the cutting room floor. We end tonight with a glimpse into what's next. In the battle for supremacy and artificial intelligence, Google unveiled BARD, described as a conversational interface that's still in the testing stage. But in filmmaking, the future is now. CTV's John Venavelli Rao on a Canadian startup harnessing the power of AI for Hollywood. Hello, Finn. If you're among the millions who've watched Wednesday, Netflix's Adam's Family spinoff, you've no doubt marveled at the creepy character called Thing, a disembodied hand at times brought to life, thanks to visual effects wizards in Toronto, who've produced some of the most impressive shots. We did all of the fully CG Thing shots in Wednesday. From a scene where the hand goes underwater to dropping off the back of a car, it's just one of more than a hundred Hollywood productions that have turned to Mars, a company that started four years ago with just 50 people and now employs more than 270. Trying to feed the overwhelming demand for visual effects from the explosion of streaming services investing billions into productions. I read an industry watchdog report the other day that stated that there's probably three times as much VFX needed in the world than there are artists to solve that problem. So Mars is turning to artificial intelligence for help while the world is buzzing about AI systems like ChatGPTs. Introducing Vanity AI by Mars. Mars has developed its own app. You simply highlight what you want to adjust, then the computers take over, making an actor look years younger or applying other cosmetic effects. What used to take artists several days, now taking minutes. It does it 300 times faster than the traditional means of execution. Disney has turned to AI to help make Harrison Ford look decades younger in the upcoming Indiana Jones sequel, generating a lot of excitement because of the convincing results. And now Mars plans to use AI for other visual effects, making them faster, cheaper to produce, and limitless. The software is now so simple to use, and it's so fast and automated, that we don't see it being restricted to Hollywood. A Canadian company helping to drive the AI revolution. Jonathan Valley Rao, CTV News, Toronto. And that's a snapshot of this Tuesday for all of us at CTV National News. Thank you for watching. Good night and see you tomorrow. CTV National News, Canada's number one newscast.